live stream. This morning, we've come to celebrate the resurrection of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And I want to read to you a passage of Scripture that's found in John chapter 11, verse 25. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Several years ago, Lisa and I had the privilege to go to Israel. And when we were in Israel, we actually visited some wonderful sites. We visited the place they called Calvary. And when I was visiting that moment, that spot, I thought to myself, this is where my Savior and my Lord gave his life for me. Then we visited the tomb where Jesus was laid. And the Bible tells us on the third day he rose from the grave. And I thought to myself, what a powerful moment. I'm standing where Jesus rose from the dead. And then we visited the Garden of Gethsemane. That was a very surreal, very sober moment. Very, a moment that really touched my heart when I thought to myself that Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane. And he could actually look over at the temple and he could see the animals that were being sacrificed. And he thought to himself, in a few days, I'm going to be that sacrificial lamb to give my life for the sins of the world. I think one of my most memorable moments was when my wife and I, we were actually sailing on the Sea of Galilee. It was, it was a sunny day. It was a, a beautiful day. It was a serene day. It was very calm. But while I was traveling on the Sea of Galilee, my mind went to the story in the Scriptures where uh, the Bible says that, that, that the disciples were on that same Sea of Galilee. And all of a sudden, there was an incredible storm. And all of a sudden, the sun was darkened by the clouds and and the wind began to beat against the boat. And they came to Jesus and they said, Jesus, don't you care about us? And Jesus got up and he spoke to the waves and he spoke to the wind and he calmed the waves and wind. But you know, life is that way, isn't it? We could be sailing along and it seems like all of a sudden something happens in our life. Things are just going really well. The sun is shining, the weather is beautiful, the sea is calm, and the winds are still. Then all of a sudden, like a hurricane, like a tornado, trouble, adversity, heartache, sorrow, and pain, even fear can strike without warning, and our world is turned upside down. And our choice then is to either trust in God or let fear really grip our heart. Our once peaceful and tranquil and serene, undisturbed life is shattered by a tragedy that is unforeseen and unwanted, a painful circumstance that rocks our world. It happens every day to people all around us. It could be a car accident that changes somebody's life forever. It can be an unexpected layoff or an unexpected divorce or a life-altering injury a doctor's appointment that turns into a, a very bad prognosis and a sudden physical episode that reveals something that we did not see. And life as we know it is no longer. That's exactly what happens to three people 
in this story. The Bible tells us in John chapter 11, verse 1, Now a man named Lazarus was sick, and he was from Bethany, the village of Mary and Martha, her sister. This is the same Mary whose, whose brother lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. Now, now we don't know what happened. We don't know what kind of sickness Lazarus had. We don't know how long he had that sickness, but we definitely have this impression that it came on him all of a sudden and unexpectedly. And now Lazarus finds himself lying on his deathbed. And John tells us that Jesus was very close to the family. The Bible tells us that, that Lazarus was the same person that Jesus loved. Jesus ate at Lazarus' house many times, and Jesus spent time with Lazarus. And I'm sure that Jesus went to many Yankee games with Lazarus. That's what we do when we're best friends. We take our friends to the, to the Yankee game, and sometimes we take our friends to the Met game to support Hope Day. But the truth of the matter is, is that, that everything changes in Lazarus' life. Everything changes in Martha's life. Now, now, Mary was the, 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 the one woman who, who loved Jesus so much that she took a very expensive box of pure perfume. It was worth one year's wages, and she broke it, and she poured it all over Jesus, and she began to wipe his feet with her hair, and she began to worship Jesus. It was an act of worship to Jesus, and the Bible tells us that one of Jesus' disciples, Judas, said, couldn't this be used in a better way? Couldn't we give it to the poor? He wasn't really interested in the poor. He was actually wanting to steal the money because he was the, the, the keeper of the bag. But the Bible tells us that Jesus said, you'll always have the poor amongst you, but me, what this woman has done for me, will be remembered throughout all of history. Why? Because Mary was actually preparing Jesus' body for his death. And Martha, Martha loved Jesus so much, she actually didn't really know what to do for Jesus but to bake for him. And so Martha would bake apple pies for him, and Martha would have big fellowships for him. Martha was the one who was always busy. She was always running. In fact, on one occasion, Mary is hanging out with Jesus, just listening to Jesus. And Martha gets Mary, mad at Mary because she wants Mary to help her. But, but Jesus says, Martha, you're, you're so preoccupied with so many things. I know you love me, and I I know you want to do things for me, but all I really want from you is your love. I want you to sit at my feet, and I want to pour into your life. Isn't that the same way with us? We, we try to be so religious. We try to do good things for God. We try to do good things for Jesus, but the only thing that Jesus really wants is our heart. And Jesus had Mary's heart. Jesus had Martha's heart. Jesus had Lazarus' heart. But the Bible says that the party stopped, that the celebration stopped. Why? Because Lazarus was now sick. No more festivities, no more cakes, no more food. Just long, long, hard nights as their sister prayed that God would not take their brother. As they stayed at their bedside, as they prayed and prayed, and finally they realized, you know what? We need divine intervention. He's not getting better. In fact, he's about to die. And so the Bible tells us that Martha sends word to Jesus. She sends 
a servant. She sends a messenger to Jesus. And she says to Jesus, Jesus, the one that you love is sick. Lord, the one that you love is about to die. Lazarus was not just a casual acquaintance. Lazarus was a really close friend of Jesus. But now he lays in his bed and he's about to die. So they send word to Jesus. Jesus, your friend who you love is really sick and we're desperate for you to come and to heal him. Jesus, if you ever really love Lazarus, you'll come right now, right away, and not waste another moment. Now, I want you to notice Jesus' response in verse 4. Verse 4 says, when he heard this, Jesus said, this sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory so that God's son may be glorified. In other words, Jesus said, my friend Lazarus, whom I really, really love, is going to have to go through the darkest valley in his life. Lazarus, the one that I really really love. He's going to have to walk the longest mile he's ever walked in his life. He's going to have to go through the the worst situation in his life. It's going to get a whole lot worse than it's going to get better before you see the glory of God come in your life, Lazarus. You're going to be tested. Every fiber of your faith is going to be tested in this circumstance. It's going to be brutal, but this death will not end in defeat. This death will not end in sorrow. This death will not end in defeat. But this death is actually for the glory of God. No matter what you're going through in your life, if you're a Christian, I want you to know that God loves you with an everlasting love. And whatever you're going through in your life, it is for the glory of God. This entire chapter in Lazarus' life is actually going to bring more glory to God than Lazarus could ever imagine. And whatever you're going through in your life, I want you to know it's going to bring more glory to God than you could ever, ever imagine. Listen to me. This Easter morning, God knows that you're facing the greatest challenge of your life. God knows that you're walking through the darkest valley of your life. God knows that you're being stretched beyond what you think you can handle. But listen to me this morning. Your situation will not end in death. Your situation will not end in the death of your faith. This situation will not end in the death of your God-inspired dreams. This situation will not end in the death of your God-given divine purpose in your life. Jesus said, this situation has been orchestrated by God himself for one reason, so that God would be glorified in your life so that God would be glorified in your battle, so that God would be glorified in your valley. In fact, God does his best work in the fire. God does his best work in the valley. God does his best work when you're stretched beyond yourself and you say, I'm too weak, Lord, and I want your glory in my life. Listen to me. The Bible is filled with God moments. The Bible is filled with God's stories where God's people faced Red Seas, where God's people faced incredible giants, where God's 
people face dark dungeons, where God's people uh, face unexpected storms at sea, enemies that represented insurmountable odds and certain defeat. But God, but God, but God always has the last word in your life. But God always made a way where there was no way. But God is always at work even when we cannot see it. Because God does have a plan and God has a reason. And God knew exactly what he's doing in your life. Every step of the way until you get to the end. The Bible tells us that God will complete the work that he started in you. And in the end, God will show himself to be strong. God will show himself to be faithful. God will show himself to be able. God will show himself to be glorious through your life. You see, God promises you that all things work together for the good for those who love God and are called according to his purpose. God's word tells us that he'll finish the work that he began inside of you, that nothing will be able to separate you from God's love. Lazarus was never separated from the master's love. That you will be standing at the end of your battle. That you'll see the salvation of the Lord in your life. But before the victory comes, there's always a battle. I want you to notice verse 6. Verse 6 says, So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. And then he said to his disciples, Let us go back to Jerusalem or to Judea. In other words... Jesus actually decides to wait. Jesus actually decides to delay his response. Jesus actually decides to allow Lazarus to actually die. He waited on purpose. He waited until there was no human possibility for a solution in Lazarus' life. And now Jesus tells his disciples, okay, boys, it's time to go to Judea. It's time to go to Bethany. Now it's time to show off. Now it's time to do something that, that has never been done before. It's time to raise a dead man who's been dead for four days. Now we know that Jesus raised a couple of other people from the dead, but it was very soon. And the truth is, people could have said that they were just simply in coma. You know, there was actually a thought in those days that, that the spirit actually was trying to make its way back into the body for at least three days. And so Jesus purposely waited for four days to make sure that the body began to decompose and there was no way for the spirit to make its way back into the body. And so this had never happened before. And Jesus was actually going to perform a miracle that these people had never seen before. Look at verse 11 to 14. After he had said this, he went on to tell them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I'm going there to wake him up. And his disciples replied, Lord, if he sleeps, he will get better. But Jesus had been speaking about his death, but his Disciples thought he meant natural sleep. So, so Jesus said, boys, Lazarus is not just taking a nap. Lazarus has already 
began to decompose. He is dead. He's dead as a doorknob. There's no way that he's coming back to life unless I say that he's coming back to life. So then he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And for your sake, I'm glad that I was not there so that you may believe. Now let us go to him. Listen what Jesus says. That is powerful. Jesus' disciples think that Lazarus in a coma. But Jesus tells his disciples, he's dead and I'm glad that I wasn't there. I'm actually glad that they could not call me to pray for him while he had a fever. I'm glad that they could not call me when he was dead for two days. I'm glad that I have waited all this time. I'm glad that I wasn't there. Why? Because I've got a purpose. I've got a plan. And you're going to see something you've never seen before. I want to tell you today, whoever you are, no matter what you're going through in your life, the truth of the matter is, is God is waiting. God has a perfect time. God understands that the steps of a righteous man are ordered by God. And many of the plans of the man's heart but is the purpose of the Lord that prevails. And God has a plan. And God is always on time. See, Jesus said, I'm glad that I wasn't there for your sake. For your sake, because you're going to see something you've never seen before. A dead man's going to come back to life. Your dead dreams are going to come back to life. Your dead hopes are going to come back to life. A dead man who absolutely has no hope will come back to life so that your faith will go to a whole new level. Jesus said, I'm glad that it got this bad. I'm glad that it didn't just heal him while he was still alive. Because, boys, you're going to see the impossible happen right before your eyes. Friend, I want you to know today, you're going to see the impossible happen right before your eyes. Listen to me. This is the most powerful story in the Bible beside the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Why? Because Jesus is actually going to answer three of the greatest questions in life through this story. The first question comes from his disciples. Jesus, Jesus, isn't he just sleeping? No, no, no. He's actually dead, and I'm glad that I wasn't there so you could see the glory of God. Second question comes from Martha and Mary. They ask the same exact question. Now, Jesus comes to Bethany, and when Jesus comes to Bethany, notice on his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. There's no way that he's in coma. He is dead. He is wrapped up. And he's placed in the tomb. The stone is rolled over the tomb. And there's absolutely no hope. Now Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem. And many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. Man, this was a big funeral. This was like a big Italian funeral. I mean, they even actually hired professional mourners to weep and wail at the tomb. So there was a lot of people there. And the Bible says when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Wow. I mean, think about that. When death happens, when something happens in our life, we all respond in a different way. Martha Martha was the kind of person that she just ran and she wanted to start doing things right away. 
She wanted to fix things right away. She's always trying to fix things. But Mary, she stayed home. She responded in a different way. Hey, let me stop right now and tell all of us we should never judge a person when they're grieving. We should just be there for them because everyone grieves. Everyone responds differently to death. Everyone responds differently to pain in their life. But we just need to be there for them. Amen? So you need to be there for somebody that's going through pain in their life. And the Bible says that, that when, when Martha saw Jesus, she said, If you had been here, my brother would have never died. Now notice in verse 28 that the Bible tells us that Jesus calls for Mary, and Mary now comes to Jesus. Notice that Mary asked the same exact question. After she had said this, she went back and called her sister Mary aside. The teacher is here, she said, and he's asking for you. When Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet entered the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who had been with Mary in the house, comforted her. Notice how quickly she got up and went out. They followed her, supposing she was going to the tomb to mourn there. Supposing she was going to find death. Instead, she finds the resurrection. When, Mar when Mary reaches the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, same thing Martha said, Lord, if you would have only been here a few days before my brother would have not died. In other words, Jesus, why did you wait? Why did you miss the timing? What would possess you not to come and heal my brother? We had four days and you missed it by four days. And Lord, if you were here, if you were with us, our brother would have never died. We would have gotten what we needed in the situation. In other words, Jesus, you weren't here when we needed you the most. Where were you, Jesus, when I was in pain? Where were you when I was in suffering? And why, Jesus, are you not doing anything about it? You see, those are the great questions of life. The great questions of life. What happens to us after we die? The disciples, Lord, if he's sleeping, surely he'll rise. But they didn't realize he was really dead. And so many people question what happens to us when we die. Well, friend, let me be honest with you. The Bible is very clear about what happens to us when we die. If we accept Jesus as our Savior and our Lord, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. You get everlasting life when you receive Jesus. But the Bible also tells us that if we don't receive Jesus as our Savior and our Lord, we get everlasting damnation. We're separated from God throughout all of eternity. So Jesus answers the question when he says, I am the resurrection. I'm going to talk about that in a few moments. But then Mary and Martha, they ask the question. What's the question? Lord, where were you when I really needed you? Isn't that the question that so many people ask? Lord, why didn't you do something when I asked you to? You see? And then the third question actually comes 
from the crowd. But if he really loved Lazarus, he would have done something about it. He opened the eyes of the blind. Could he not raise the dead? Could he not heal Lazarus? That's the question of does God really love me? Does God really love you? Let me answer the question by quoting again John 3.16. For God so loved the world. God demonstrated his love for you by sending his only begotten son. Jesus demonstrated his love for you by dying on the cross for you. And the truth is, when we go through the valleys in our life, when we face the darkest moments in our life, when we lose someone we love, when we suffer pain and heartache, when things don't work out the way we had planned in life, we naturally want to ask God, where were you when I needed you the most? Why didn't you answer my prayer the way I prayed it? Why would you allow me to go through this dark valley in my life? Couldn't you have prevented all this horrible pain and heartache in my life? And Jesus answers their questions with one incredible response. He doesn't explain why he waited. He doesn't explain where he was. He doesn't explain his purpose and his plan for Lazarus' life. He simply says to Martha, Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believes in me, though he should die, yet he should live. Do you believe this? In other words, Jesus answers every question with who he is. He doesn't answer why. He answers who. What he really says, in other words, is all of your questions and all of your fears and all of your doubts and all of your concerns and all of your hopes are simply answered in really two words. I am. Jesus said to Martha and Mary, I am the resurrection and the life. I know your heart broken. I know that you have questions. I know you don't understand. But be sure of this one thing. I am. I am the beginning and the end. I am the alpha and omega. I am the light of the world. I am he who was and is and always will be. I am the creator of the universe. I am the bright and morning star. I am the bread of life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am there. I am your healer. I am your deliverer. I am your provider. I am your strength. I am your counselor. I am your comforter. I am your protector. I am your best friend. I am your everything. That's why he said, I am that I am. I am what you need me to be. And and right now, even when you face the darkest, most difficult times in your life, even when you die, I am the resurrection and the life. Come on, somebody help me out and say amen. And in this particular situation, Martha and Mary tells them, hey, Jesus, you should have been there. But in this particular situation, Martha and Mary, Jesus says, don't weep, don't cry. Don't despair because I, I am the resurrection. You see, Jesus wasn't pointing to an event. You see, he could have said, 
Martha, chill out. In a few moments, I'm going to resurrect your brother. In fact, Mary said, I know Lazarus will live again in the resurrection. But Jesus wanted Martha and Mary to know, I'm not an event. I'm not an answer to your prayer. I'm not a magic formula. Jesus said, I am the resurrection. I am. I've always been. I speak and I create. That's why I'm not on your time. I'm not on anyone's time. I created time. A day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years is like a day to me. I am time. I am the creator of all life. Before there was anything, I was. Before me, there was nothing, and I created life in the beginning. God said, let us make man in our own image. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. And Jesus was saying to Martha, Jesus was saying to Mary, Mary when it seems like all, all, all your hope is gone, when it seems like all hope is faded into time and circumstance, when it seems like all hope has vanished into the darkness of pain and suffering, remember, hope has a name. And his name is Jesus. You see, the truth is we, we celebrate Easter not because an, ev an, an, an event happened. We celebrate Jesus because of the person of Jesus. We celebrate Easter because of the person of Jesus. See, Jesus is who he said he was. And that's what the resurrection is really all about. It's proving that Jesus Christ is Lord over every situation. That Jesus is greater than life. That Jesus is greater than death. That Jesus is the victor. That Jesus is the one who was dead, but now he's alive. That we celebrate Easter because Jesus can resurrect our dead dreams. That Jesus can resurrect our faded hope. That Jesus can resurrect our broken hearts. That Jesus can resurrect our mortal bodies. That Jesus can declare that he's Lord over everything, everywhere, every time, in every way in our life. And one day every knee shall bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of the Father. And every question... And every pain and every sorrow and every doubt and every dream and every problem and every struggle, every decision and every kingdom and every power and every future event and every possible scenario in our life is all wrapped up in one person. His name is Jesus. Colossians chapter 1 verse 9 says, for this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. We continue to ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives you so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in knowledge of God being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might so that you may have great endurance and patience and giving joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. 
For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness. He rescued us from our doubt. He rescued us from our fear. He rescued us from the dark valleys of, of even death itself. Though I should walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. And he brought us into the kingdom of his son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Paul goes on to say, the son, Jesus, the great I am, is the image of the invisible God. He is the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created. Things in heaven and things on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. And he is before all things. In him all things hold together. That's what he was saying to Martha. Martha, don't you understand all of your questions, all of your fears, all of your doubts, bring them to my feet because I hold even life in my hands. I am the resurrection and I am the light. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead so that in everything he might have supremacy. For God, the Father, was pleased to have all of his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. And his resurrection proved that he is Lord over all things. Easter declares that Jesus can resurrect anything in your life. Whatever you're facing today, don't give up. Whatever you're facing today, don't give in to fear. Whatever you're facing today, don't give in to sorrow. Don't allow the questions that are, are not yet answered to overcome you and hold you captive to unbelief. Look at the people who were gathered near the tomb. In fact, listen to what Jesus tells them. Verse 33. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved and troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? In another translation, Jesus says, take me to the place that you laid him. Listen to me. Jesus is saying to you this morning, take me to the place you laid all your hopes. Take me to the place you laid all of your sorrows. Take me to the place where you buried all of your hurts and all of your pain and all of your failure and all of your disappointment. I know it's Easter, but today Jesus is saying to you and to me, take me to the place where your dreams died because I'm about to do a new thing. I'm about to resurrect your hope. I'm about to resurrect power in your life. I'm about to resurrect purpose in your life. But first, you must choose to take me to that dead thing. You must choose to take me to that place where you feel is hopeless in your life. Let me ask you a question today as, as we close. What have you decided in your life that's hopeless? Maybe it's a relationship. 
Maybe it's a marriage. Maybe it's a dream. Maybe it's a promise. Maybe it's a healing. You've been praying for God to heal you physically. And now you've decided God can't do it. God won't do it. It's too late. The doctors have already given me the bad prognosis. What have you buried in your life? And what have you rolled the stone over the tomb in your life? To say, it's impossible. God cannot do it. Friend, I want you to know all things are possible with God. God can raise the dead. God can raise your dead dreams. God can heal the sick. God can open the eyes of the blind. God can open the ears of the deaf. God can save your son that's on drugs. God can save your daughter that's on drugs. God can repair your marriage. God can bring you back to a place of joy and peace in your life. God can resurrect you. Why? Because God specializes in the impossible things in your life. Come on, somebody. Hallelujah. Now, I want you to notice when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come alongside weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit. And he said, the Bible says, and Jesus wept. The shortest verse in all the Bible. Why did Jesus weep? Jesus knew that he was about to raise Lazarus from the dead. Jesus knew that he was about to look death straight in the face and conquer it with three words. Lazarus, come forth. Jesus wept because he felt their pain. Jesus wept because he went to the place of their pain. He went to the place of their failure. He went with them to the place of sorrow, and he felt what they were feeling. That's what we celebrated just a few days ago when Jesus died on the cross. But the story doesn't end with weeping. Notice what happens next. Jesus goes to the place of pain. He goes to the place of defeat. He goes to the place of sorrow. He goes to the place of hopelessness. And he tells them, roll the stone away. And Martha replies, Jesus, it's too late. By this time, his body has begun to decompose. The situation stinks. It really stinks. Jesus, it's over. Jesus, just let us mourn. Let us just live in the past. Martha replies, by now, his body is so decomposed that there's no hope. In fact, the smell is so bad it reminds us constantly of the hopeless situation. Do you have a situation like that? But Jesus is not ever taken back by the smell of death. Jesus is never, never taken back by the stench of defeat. Why? Because he's the resurrection and the life. Because he resurrects dead dreams back to life again. He's the creator of life. And so he tells Martha, tell the men to roll the stone away. Think about that for a moment. Jesus could have spoken to the stone and rolled it away with his finger. Jesus could have spoke to the stone and rolled it away with one word. But he told them to roll away the stone. That was an act of faith. 
They had to apply their faith to the situation. I want you to roll the stone away so I can speak to the dead man. And I will command him to come out. But you have to roll the stone away. Listen to me. This Easter morning, Jesus is telling you to take him to the place of your failure. And then he tells you to roll the stone away so he can speak into that situation. What does it mean to roll the stone away? It means today you expose that dead dream to Jesus. It means that you stop waiting. You stop holding back. You stop holding on to a dead man's tomb. And you expose your pain to Jesus. And you allow Jesus to walk inside that tomb in your life and call that which you think is dead back to life. Notice what Jesus does say to Mary. He says to Mary and Martha, if you would believe, you would see the glory of God. Faith. Putting your full trust in God at all times, in every situation, even when it looks impossible. Because hope has a name. His name is Jesus. And at the name of Jesus, every demon will surrender. Every sorrow will flee. Every sickness will vanish. Every failure will turn into triumph. Every pain will turn into gain. Every scar will turn into a star. And every question will fade. And every trial will turn into a testimony. And every giant will fall at his feet. And even death will be swallowed up in victory. Victory has a name. Power has a name. Peace has a name. Comfort has a name. Love has a name. Life has a name. Faith has a name. Strength has a name. Unending joy has a name. Compassion has a name. Miracles has a name. Revival has a name. Restoration has a name. Resurrection has a name. His name is Jesus. It's a powerful name. It's a majestic name. It's an all-encompassing name. It's a steadfast name. It's a faithful name. I love what verse 41 says, so they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up at the Father and said, Father, I thank you that you hear me. I know that you always hear me, but I say these things for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. And the dead man came out. Lazarus, it's a new day. Live again, Lazarus. And Jesus calls out to some of you today, whoever you are, and he's saying, come forth. No more tomb living. It's time to reawaken your faith. It's time to come alive. It's time to allow God to restore your faith. Maybe you're a Christian today, but you still have some grave clothes on. Verse 40. Three says, when Jesus resurrected Lazarus, he said, take off the grave clothes. Maybe this morning you still have some grave clothes on. 
grave clothes symbolize bondage. It symbolizes sin and anything that keeps us from being free. But Jesus is here this morning to set you and I free. So why don't you take Jesus to the place of your discouragement? He wants to go with you this morning. Why don't you take Jesus to the place of your pain, your sorrow, your difficulty, your disappointment. Take him there. And then roll the stone of your heart away. And let Jesus come into your life. Let him heal and resurrect your dead dreams. I want to pray for you right now. Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray that you would touch every single person watching. And Lord, I know that there are people today, Lord God, that they have given up on life, Lord. Or they've given up on their dreams, Lord. Or they've given up on their marriage, Lord. Or they've given up hope, Lord God, that things are going to change and turn around. There are some, Lord God, that are locked away in the tomb of drug addiction and alcoholism. And Lord, today, Father, I know that you are the resurrection and the life. And you can bring new life into their hearts. So I ask you today to touch them. Would you pray with me this prayer? I want you to actually, well, wherever you are, I want you to repeat this prayer with me. It's a prayer of faith. It's a prayer of healing. It's a prayer of resurrection. Lord, I acknowledge that I'm a sinner. And I need Jesus to come in and resurrect my spirit. I ask you to forgive me of my sins, Lord. Come into my heart and be my Savior and my Lord. Thank you, Jesus, that you're alive and you can resurrect me. Lord, I ask you right now that you would resurrect my dreams and my hopes. I thank you that you are Lord of lords and King of kings. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. If you have accepted Jesus as your Savior for the first time, I want to challenge you to reach out to us, communicate to us, and let us know that you've given your life to Jesus. We want to send you some information to help you on your journey of faith. God bless you. Don't forget, God has a plan for your life, and it's big.